Thank you. Uh, good morning. So good to good to see y'all here this morning. My name is Dave. I'm the uh, I'm the pastor here at um, Redemption Church Tucson. And uh, just by way of introduction, if you've never, um, if I've never met you before, or uh, you've never heard me preach, I have a stutter. So I just want to make sure that y'all know um, know that before uh, before you know we move move on. So you're not trying to figure out what it is. And, um, you know, yeah, I do need to address, as Paul said, um, first of all, it's actually my right eye has a cut in it. And some of you know we live right near 4th Avenue, and I just need to go out and get some steam off and after the game yesterday. So that's not what happened. I wish it was that cool. Um, I actually, uh, very uncool, slipped uh, and ran into a wall. And so my eye has a cut on it, so that's cool. But you can make up whatever story you want. Choose your own ending, right? 80s? 80s? kids, anyone? So, um, well, anyway, uh, um, uh, I do want to say something before we kind of move on to um, a few things. One is um, those all of life interviews, we're going to continue to do those consistently. And I just want to remind you all that we do those um, uh, uh, to, to, to help us all understand what it means to live all of life in light of who God made us to be, um, to bear his image, to reflect him in everything that we do. And so as Peggy said, um, you know, she was like, duh. And we probably could have said that, like, yeah, you're a nurse. You take care of people. You do things. I, you know, what do I do for a living? And you could fill in the blank. I just want to remind all of us that as we get creative and as week in or as month in and month out, we'll hear these things. And it, and it is to remind us all of, of the need for God's image to be born and for the gospel to go forward in all of life. And so I spent this week um, in, on the phone with a number of people that work at a call center and things like that. And I was working with taxes and doing things like that. And let me just remind you, like someone in a call center has an incredible opportunity for good or for bad, right? To how you interact with someone and um, whatever it might be. Um, so uh, I just love, love those and we'll be excited to do those more and more each month. And um, now we're going to get into God's word. So um, I want to introduce Easter and, and talk a bit more about Palm Sunday. But before that, let me ask you to go ahead and um, uh, raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. So if you don't have a Bible with you and you want to um, Follow along with us. Hold your hand up. If you prefer the Bible in Spanish, we, we have those as well. Um, so if you need, uh, need one of those, just um, indicate that. I don't know how exactly, but um, say that. Uh, and, and we'll be sure that you get one in Spanish as well. So while they're handing those out, let me just talk a bit about, about um, Easter, Easter Sunday. As uh, we've, we've talked about this before, that last year was our first ever morning service, our first ever um, um, Sunday morning service was on Easter Sunday, and we met at like a train depot not far from here, and it was a great fun time, and we had a potluck and, um, and all these things. And so you might be wondering, what are we going to do this year? Well, this year we're not going to have a potluck because as we've grown and we expect that more kind of new people will come and, and, you know, people who don't show up with something, even though we say, please stay, we'll be like, I didn't bring anything, it's a potluck, I can't hang around. So we're going to have some like finger food, like hors d'oeuvre, you know, type of, type of things, um, type of food. So some people are putting that together. And if you have the gift of making little finger foods, little tiny sandwiches and other such things, um, please stop by the Connect desk, talk to Kelsey Collins about that, and she'll help you get, um, get set up with that so we make sure that we diversify, don't have all 
cake pops or I don't know what, whatever else you eat, small things. But so anyway, that's exciting. And it's also exciting, as we said, we're going to be, this will be a good chance to like, you know, dress up. Um, it, it, you don't have to by any means, but just for some of the things that um, Paul said, we're not going to trick anyone though, like he said, don't, don't worry about that. But um, so we're going to come and get together. But I just want to remind us on this Sunday as we look at the cross, as we re- recognize that the sash has changed, that um, it's been purple all throughout, and that has reminded us of this time of anticipation of, of the, the, the work of Jesus throughout his entire life and ministry. The sash has been purple to remind us of the royalty of God, that God, um, that um, Jesus is almighty God and chose to become a man, that he is um, as some refer to as the perfect God-man. And we have anticipated throughout the last um, month or so this time, and then the sash has changed to red to remind us of the need that Jesus came with the mission to lay down his life, to give of his blood. We're going to talk about that some more um, in this passage, actually, but that, that Jesus came with a mission. And um, actually, let me just say something about Palm Sunday, because I just learned this not long ago. Um, this was not the first Palm Sunday. Um, in fact, many before Jesus had come riding in, just like he did on a colt or a donkey, and, and the people gathered together and laid down palm branches and were like, yes, here's the, the day has finally arrived, the, um, the Messiah, the long-awaited king to come and take care of the Roman Empire and to make things new, to, to restore what has been broken. And then that um, kind of Messiah figure would go off and be challenged or would do his own thing and something. And they'd be like, okay, I guess that, you know, next, next. And, and in fact, um, there, there wasn't, it wasn't too different. But the difference is that Jesus, being God, knew why he came. And he came with a purpose and he laid down his life and he died on the cross. And so next Friday, this, this coming Friday, we'll celebrate Good Friday. We're going to do that with more of a, a sending out a devotional for us to do. And some of us in different contexts might get together to, to celebrate that, to remember Jesus laying down his life. And then next Sunday, kind of coming back around full circle, we come to celebrate what every Sunday we celebrate. The defining, history-defining, life-defining reality that Jesus rose from the dead. That he indeed was like no other. That though others came, you know, parading in on a donkey and other people laid down palm branches and then maybe even in some of those cases that person died, then that was the end of it. But when Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished, he meant the penalty of sin, the consequence, the brokenness of sin would be dealt with. And then he victoriously rose from the dead to once and for all usher in his kingdom, and then he promised that he would return to usher it in and to establish it one day fully. So we celebrate that every single Sunday. And next Sunday, we celebrate it more pointedly along with the rest of the historic church under the headship and rule of Jesus. And so I just want to remind us as we prepare, as we invite people, as we, you know, those of us who have children, as we kind of talk about little things that we want to do with our kids and how we want to make Easter really special and, 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 and important for them. Um, let's, let's remember the, 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 the life-defining, history-defining reality that we celebrate. Amen? Amen. So now let me pray. Um, we're going to switch gears. We're going to transition. As we'll see, though, in our time, um, it, it fits. 
This, 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 this passage that we're looking at is incredibly important for us to understand what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus. And so um, with that, I, I want to pray that God will lead us in this time. In fact, some of it might be challenging. In fact, honestly, I, I am hope it is. For, um, for, for, for some of us, it is both challenging and encouraging. So with that, let me pray as uh, you meet me over in Mark um, chapter 2. If you have one of the Bibles that we handed out, that's on page 543. So let's, let's, uh, let's pray. Um, again, Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have to, to be in your word, to come before you um, Lord, I, I know that we're all coming from different places. I mean, I know we joke about it. We're obviously, some of us are really well, bummed out. Um, we have an old Final Four shirt from 2001, and we're really looking forward to getting a new one. And though that's a game and we can dismiss it, it's, we care about it. It's fun. We celebrate as a community, as a town. But, um, Lord, the, the reality of you, Jesus, um, and your authority in calling us to understand your kingdom having come, and what it means to trust you and follow you fully. Um, Lord, I pray that in this time you would remind us, you would open our hearts and enliven our understanding of our desperate need for you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, pick up with me. Mark chapter 2, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, that's to... Jesus. They said, why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples did not fast? Have you ever had a friend? Have you ever been a part of a group community? If you haven't ever had a friend, you don't need to say so. Come up and talk to me after. We'll be friends. <laughs> but have you ever had a friend or been a part of a group of friends where there was one who kind of stirred the pot? Like maybe there were three friends or a group of friends and maybe looking back, you're like, that one person, when it's just us, always has something to say about somebody else in our group of friends. Or, you know, um, I'm pretty sure that things I said um, in confidence to that one friend, they went on and said to everyone else and now it's kind of out there and known. I had a friend like that, Spencer. Um, in uh, the last real fight I got into... Um, this was not a fight, by the way, this little eye thing. So I'm not a fighter, I'm a lover, but the last real fight I got into was in junior high, and um, it was because of Spencer. And it wasn't with some, it wasn't some glorious thing, it's because Spencer started talking to some of my other friends, and specifically my other friend JD, and said some stuff that, you know, I had said, and then he came back to me and said, oh, like, JD is always saying this about you, and he talks about... You know, I don't know how you're short. How you're, I don't know. Whatever it was. And um, lo and behold, kind of things, you know, elevated and escalated to the point where I can't even believe this. I rode the bus home with JD so we could fight um, at his house. And Spencer forgot the reality that when boys, most of the case, when boys fight, they become better friends. So Spencer um, got left in the dust as a friend. And we rolled around and scrapped it out and fought. And then um, a couple days later, we're like, hey. Wait, Spencer started this whole thing? Let's, let's hang out. Let's be friends. And so we became even better friends. And it works out that way. Well, um, that's what's really happening here with the, um, these groups of people. If you notice, it's the crowds. The, the common people came to Jesus. And if you remember from last week, they first, um, they first came up and started talking to the disciples about Jesus. They're like, yeah. Jesus said this, and Jesus said that, and they're kind of trying to build a division. And then, in this case, they go over to Jesus, and they're like, hey, your disciples, 
don't fast. These other disciples do. You need to get yourself some new disciples. You know, these guys are not, not um, honoring you well, and they're, they're trying to cause a division. And these people, let me just say who they are specifically. They're, 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 they're coming on behalf of, they're talking about the Pharisees. And as I said last week, we kind of have a bad rap, a bad understanding of who the Pharisees are. But the Pharisees started out as well-intentioned. Their, their whole goal was to be established as God's people and to kind of preserve life in order to rightly be positioned that when the king would come, when the kingdom would be ushered in, they would be prepared. And so these people come and say, John's disciples, they fast. Um, the Pharisees' disciples, they fast. But your disciples don't fast. And what this is, this is evidence that the, the Pharisaic way of life like most of us here today, starts out well-intentioned, but over time comes in to basically replace the grace of God, replace a relationship with God with a, with a bunch of rituals, with a bunch of religious routines that we can now observe and we can do, and then over time we no longer need God's grace because we do all these things. And, 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 and fasting is a great example of this, okay? The, the Hebrew people would fast once a year during Yom Kippur, the, the, uh, the Day of Atonement, which still Jewish people today, that's the, the greatest holiday. And, it's a, and it was um, designed to remind God's people of God's grace, that He would, he would forgive their sins and accept a sacrifice. And, and it was meant to, to enliven worship and remind these people of God's grace. But over time, these people started fasting not just once a year, twice a week. So they, they, they kind of added some rules, and this became a sign of Christian piety, or religious piety. And, and again, you, you now put God in some way, though no one would say it this way, you put God in your debt, because you live in such a way, and you are now one up from other people because you fast more than others, and you fast in certain ways, and someone else might fast from, you know, Facebook, but you fast from Instagram. Or whatever it might be, right? It's like, I, and there's kind of this one up, one down, kind of sizing one another up. I, I remember for me, in, in case, um, and I'll get to what fasting is. If you notice, Jesus doesn't go all bad. He doesn't say, fasting, that's terrible. What do you mean? Fa-? No, he, he'll, we'll get into that. He talks about fasting in his response. He doesn't say that fasting in itself is bad. But the heart of it, to replace God and dependence upon God with human effort and religious works is broken and wicked. And like us here today, we have some things that do the same. I remember the first time, I I didn't necessarily grow up in kind of a church home and a Christian home. I remember the first time I heard the words that now I just, it's like I, it just rolls up my back, but quiet time. Okay, some of you, maybe you're not from a church background, but you have some Christian friends now and you hear quiet time or other you know, awesome is definitely a Christian word until the Lego movie came about and then kind of hijacked that one. But, um, you know, awesome and, and, and quiet time. And there are other things we say it can be referred to as maybe like Christianese or some, some words that we say amongst us. That in, in, and often, don't, don't feel bad about saying quiet time, but often it's meant to establish a sense of religious superiority. I've had my quiet time. I remember the first time I heard it. I was in junior high. And as I talked about my junior high, J.D. and Spencer and, you know, other such 
folks. Um, and, well, I came to this church with some people, and I remember people standing up being like, well, in my quiet times this week, and this and that, I'd be like, I eat lunch with you. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard this term quiet time before, and I kind of outed myself, what's a quiet time? And then finally I learned, and I'm like, oh, that's great, sounds good. I didn't know that's what it was called or what it had to be called. And um, if you don't know, let me just say, a quiet time is spending time um, in, intentionally and personally with God um, in His Word and in prayer. And that's a really good thing. And similarly, fasting is a really good thing. And these people, um, as I said, would, would fast to anticipate their need for God and their need for God's grace and to remember the brokenness that has been in the world and to fast and to hunger and to remember the pain that people have experienced throughout centuries all over the world. And, and so it's a good thing, but like you and me, we try to replace God and His goodness and His grace and His holiness with our own. And so Jesus answers them. In verse 19, he picks up and he gives three m metaphors or three pictures to answer these people's and our broken idea that what we do can replace our need for God's undeserved favor, his grace. So pick up with me in verse 19 as we see Jesus. In verse 19, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Again, I've said this time and time, because as we've read through Mark, we need to remember that some of the things that might roll off our, our shoulders and we hear and move on um, would not have had the effect in that day. Jesus says, um, the bridegroom is here. This was a clear declaration of his authority of his being God no one else would call himself the bridegroom throughout the Old Testament often God refers to his people as his bride often like in uh, Hosea and other similar places um, the prophets call out and and they bring a message from God and they say you the bride of Christ are like a wayward unfaithful bride pursuing other lovers but your um your perfect bridegroom is pursuing you and there's all kinds of metaphor used to paint the picture of of the perfect faithful good bridegroom that is God and his broken people who need his pursuit and his love and it would be unheard of for just a, an authoritative teacher to use such language about himself but as Jesus has shown time and time again, he's not just another teacher. Hear me, many of us in here today, we, we equate Jesus with other religious figures. And we think, oh, he's a religious guru, WWJD. You know, he's a great example. What would Jesus do? But he doesn't give us that option. He's none other than God himself. He is the bridegroom. And then he uses more familiar language of, of the wedding. I was just at a wedding last night. Some of us were there, some good friends um, uh, up in Tempe, actually, an ASU alum. So God is making all things new. And we were there, and we celebrated, and um, had a good time with them, and we're, we're celebrating. But the, the guy who officiated the wedding, it was his second wedding that day. He had officiated another wedding, and, and he was good friends with both, and you know it made sense. But that would have been unheard of 
in amongst the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. Um, not just the bride and groom, but everybody anticipated the wedding feast. It lasted for around a week, and they would go in and out of the marital tent, if you know what I mean. So the, the bride and groom weren't just in a hurry to get out of there and go on their honeymoon. They would, they would celebrate together. They would get to know one another in marriage. And they would come back out and they would celebrate and party with their friends. And there would be feasting and all kinds of good things. And it was incredible. It wasn't like, let's hurry up. You know, the next wedding party is going to come in. It was a feast. It was a party. And especially the friends of the bridegroom. The people who knew the bridegroom so well and knew the bride and the groom and, and celebrated them together, they, it would be ridiculous to be like, oh, sorry, you know, pass the, you know, kosher steak on by. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass. I'm fasting right now. It would be crazy. No, there are other times for fasting, but now is not the time. The bridegroom is here. The, the party is going on. We are celebrating right now. Eat. Don't fast. Again, Jesus is making two very clear points. Let me be clear on this. He is saying, I am God. And we've seen that throughout. He teaches with authority, not just as one who knows a lot, but as the author of the Bible, as the very word of God. And he casts out demons with authority. And then, as we saw just a couple weeks ago, he forgives sins, right? That's just regular people, even good examples, good people don't forgive someone else's sin, right? If I did get punched in the eye and someone else just stepped in and was like, oh, it's okay, man, I, I forgive you and walked off. You don't get to forgive that person, right? But Jesus forgives sins and he shows that ultimately all sins committed are against God, the creator of life. And so he, he establishes authority and then yet again he says, I am the bridegroom. And he's also showing a very important reality for you and me to understand. And we talk about this a lot. It's the now and not yet reality of the kingdom of God. Okay, partying, feasting, the wedding feast is a picture of the kingdom of God. It's a picture of what we often think of or refer to as heaven. It is all things made new. It is abundance. It is enjoying good conversation and good food and good drinks and playing games and working for the glory of God and the good of others and our joy in every way. That's often, that's a picture. The wedding feast. Celebration. And Jesus is saying, as he did earlier in this, um, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. And so then these people would, you know, start to be excited. Oh, good, good. The Messiah is here. The King is here. But then Jesus says, um, but the bridegroom will be taken away. Because remember, the bridegroom must lay down his life for his friends. And so the kingdom of God, there is a day where fully we will celebrate, where Jesus will return. But he says the bridegroom must lay down his life and then we know that Jesus raises from the dead and then he ascends to heaven. He says, carry this out. Carry the good news of my kingdom. Carry the good news of my forgiveness. Carry this message to the ends of the earth. My friends, my, the friends of the bridegroom, you've tasted the goodness. You've tasted the celebration. Live out that 
kingdom reality now in every way, as we just heard this morning Peggy talk about living out the reality of the kingdom in her work. But there's also the not yet reality of the brokenness of death and pain and sickness. So Jesus is explaining here in this very subtle way that he indeed is God, the bridegroom, and also that his kingdom, his party has started and is yet to come. And now before I get there to the next one, I just want to say one more thing as we're here talking about this. Because um, if you were to ask someone, who throws the best parties? Would they think of Christians? I don't, they should. Really, they, we should have the greatest time together. We should party and celebrate honoring the law, honoring one another, honoring God, but having fun. I know some people in here, some of our friends here, um, uh, Jared Carter, who's sometimes up here, they had a Christmas party this year that was one of the best parties I've ever been to. And I played rugby and was involved with fraternity on campus and, you know, went to a lot of parties. And this Easter party with, or sorry, Christmas party with our kids there and all kinds of things was celebratory and fun and so good. And and so we need to, we need to hold one another accountable to that. That's another Christian word. We need to call each other out. Let's party. Let's host well. Let's celebrate well. Take every opportunity to do that well. So Easter is another incredible opportunity for that. But um, Jesus ratchets, ratchets it up a little bit with these next two metaphors. So let's, let's um, pick back up with me, if you will, in verse 21. And Jesus says again, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old, and, the worse, and a worse tear... Is made, And so we're like, wait, he went from a wedding to a piece of clothing. I don't get it. What's he talking about? Well, um, again, remember that on a heart level, the broken reality of these people is thinking, um, okay, why aren't you fasting? We have all these religious ways of life. And Jesus, we can find a place for you here. We'll submit to you according to our systems. Um, do you fit here? And so Jesus goes on. And explains this piece of clothing. And um, some of us maybe that aren't built like all the models that we see. You can maybe relate with this. I get anxiety when I go shopping. I hate it. Um, And I can't wait for this hipster phenomenon to be done. Because everywhere I go to buy clothes is made for like, you know, 6'3", 90 pound person. And I'm not built like that. And I'm like, I can't fit into these clothes. This is like a tight fitting skirt. Um, I, I can't wear that shirt. And um. And so, so I, I personally always wash my clothes to make sure they're going to fit. And you know what happens when you wash clothes. They shrink, right? And over time, you wear clothes and, and, and they shrink and they wear out and they get torn. And if you thought, oh man, I have a, I have a little hole in my clothes here. I'm going to just take this piece of fabric, you know, go to jo- Joann's or wherever and get a little piece of fabric and go back and then sew it on and then... Over time, what happens? It's not going to fit. It doesn't work together. You can't just add a little piece of cloth and all of a sudden everything's fine. No, you have a broken, worn out garment with holes in it. And you think, I'll just add this little thing and it'll all be just fine. Well, these people like you and me and our approach to God 
we think, ah, my life's, you know, it's okay. I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm, you know, maybe I could be a little bit better. Just give me a little Jesus. Just give me a little pat. Make me a little bit better. You know, and, and, and let me ask you, when you think about standing before Almighty God, and he says, why should I bring you into my heaven? Is what comes to mind the good outweighed the bad? I wasn't, a, I wasn't a murderer. That's often people will say that. It's like, congratulations on not killing anybody. Not be, good work on being a human being. Um, it, but honestly, like we think like that. Well, I, I haven't been so bad. The good has outweighed the bad to some degree. And the reality is we're just thinking our garment is wearing out. The garment that is you and me. The broken image bearers of God that are decaying because of sin that we've committed, that we live amongst, that's been committed against us, is decaying, is torn. And yet we think, oh, just add a little bit of Jesus and sew it up and my life will be better. And Jesus says, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It, it, let me just be really honest. Just saying a prayer and then going on as if nothing changed is the same thing as sewing a little patch on and then being confused at why the garment is just tearing apart. If there's no evidence of restoration, of relationship with God, of His healing work, of His Lordship in your life, easy believism, being sold a version of Christianity, it's just, oh, come on, it's just really, just say this one little prayer, that's all you gotta do. If it's not in light of um, surrender and dependence and truly understanding and truly responding to the grace of God, it, it, it won't work. In fact, he says the terror will become worse. Perhaps some of you have experienced that. It's like you know just enough now that you can't while out, you can't just go on with life as you used to. You know, you're convicted, you're, you're kind of confused maybe, but... Um, but also you, you, you don't have real faith in Jesus. You don't have a real relationship that's defined by His grace. So you keep piling works on and you hear things. You hear, oh, accountability. Oh, quiet times. Oh, church attendance. This, this, this. All these rules. I'll add those. I'll sew up the holes that keep appearing and it'll be all better. But the tear is worse. Because Jesus is not just in a to be sewn back onto our lives. And then he turns to another metaphor to help make sense of this. The common idea of wine and wineskins in their day. Uh, pick up with me in verse 22. As Jesus kind of brings it home with this last um, very important, very applicable, very understandable metaphor in verse 22. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. We don't use a lot of wineskins in our day. Um, so what happens is um, wine, I'm not an enologist, I think is the term, somebody who makes wine and who knows how wine is made. But as I understand it, as wine is fermenting and the, the alcohol content is kind of developing and growing and other things are happening with the taste of it, it's expanding, and, 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 and things are changing, it's moving, it's active, 
And so what these people would do is they, they held that wine in wineskins made of, you know, animal hides. And, and over time, an old wineskin that's been holding wine would have, you know, gotten worn out. It would start to crack and be broken and, and the sun would shine on it. And so if you had that and it would be very brittle and then you pour some new wine, you just made a really good batch and you pour the new wine into these wineskins, it's, it's going to blow up. Something explosive is going to happen. It's not going to be able to hold that wine. And, and, and again, this was an important part of these people's every day. We here um, have juice when we take communion, where some other redemption congregations use wine, and we're not opposed to that. We just have kind of, for at least for now, in the place that we are, the location, a lot of people um, you know, deal with alcoholism and, and you know, things like that, and so we, we have juice here, and that's what, what we take. But Jesus himself refers to it as the wine. And, some, and so he says, this is my body, and he breaks bread. And then he says, um, this cup that was full of wine um, represents my blood poured out for you. And that made sense to these people because wine was a significant part of their lives. And so they drank wine, and they knew this language, and they understand um, what he's talking about. So they would get this metaphor. But again, you and I kind of were like, I don't get it. Uh, the little bottle I buy at you know, Trader Joe's. It's not a skin, it's glass. Am I doing something wrong? And Well, to, to help us understand that, um, let me read one quote from uh, a, a helpful theologian and um, author, um, N.T. Wright. He writes this. He, Jesus, is talking about the shatteringly new thing that was happening in and through his ministry. He was, after all, announcing the kingdom of God, saying that God was now becoming king in a whole new way and performing actions to suit the word. Something quite different was coming to to birth from anything that had happened before. Something powerful and explosive. Again, if we just think that we can say a little prayer, do some religious activities, and everything's going to be fine, it's actually going to explode. Um, kind of a big theological term, I used one last week, I'll use a, another, is total depravity. And what that essentially means is that we, in and of ourselves, naturally have broken wineskins, broken old decaying wineskins. They're cracked. They've been used by old, insufficient wine. And so if we think we can invite the king of the universe who's ushering in his kingdom to come into our lives, into our hearts that are um, naturally predisposed to treasonous life of choosing um, other than God and we're just going to make a little room for the king to come into our treasonous kingdom, it's not going to be compatible. It's going to blow up. And so what Jesus is saying is you can't just add a little bit of me to your heart. No, no, you need to be given a new heart. The, the term, the biblical term is to be regenerate, to be given a new heart that is now able to receive the expanding work of God, to be indwelt with none other than God himself, God the Spirit. As you place your faith in him, he, he now comes and dwells within you, and so you can no longer go on with life as you once thought you could. 
Your life is now surrendered to Him, to His Lordship. And now let me again just say, it's not, um, it's not saying that, that, that if you genuinely put your faith in Him, that's a one-time event that you'll then just go on and, and everything's going to be easy and you'll live perfectly forever. No, it's a one-time event of getting a new heart and placing your faith in Jesus and then from there growing into the reality of living under His kingship. Or better yet, in light of this metaphor, getting a new heart, the new wineskin is there ready to receive the work of God and live in dependence and relationship with Jesus because of His grace, His undeserved favor, but also in light of His lordship, His rule. So as that is expanding, that can be a painful process. We're growing to recognize His work and His authority, His taking root in the wineskin of our hearts. But, but, but it's not just an add-on. It's not just to add a little bit of Jesus, try harder, do better, add Him to our religious rituals, and nothing really changes. Now, as we, as we close, I want to um, ask us to consider a couple things together. Um, first, we, we need to consider some things corporately. Every week we consider how do we respond individually and also corporately. How do we respond? Corporately, are there things that we've added to our gathering together? Are there things that we say that we measure our righteousness with one another? Are there things that we do that we think kind of, though we don't say it, kind of puts God in our debt? kind of makes us right before Him, that replaces grace. I pray that as a church we would not be that kind of people. That, that, that it would be abundantly clear that nothing other than the undeserved favor of God through faith in Jesus and His work on the cross and His victorious resurrection, that that would shape us, that we would add nothing but then from there, let me ask on an individual level, okay, I want to do some work here. I want us to close with this and sit with this. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a Christian? And if your answer to that has something to do with, I said a prayer once as a little kid, or I come to church, don't I? I have quiet times. I fast twice a week. But in light of hearing the reality of what Jesus has said, the truth of His Word, perhaps you're realizing, I, no, I've just tried to pour a little bit of Jesus into a broken wineskin. And maybe now, for the first time, maybe today, you're understanding, I have not truly followed Jesus. I'm, I'm tempted. I want to go there. I want to encourage right now. I want to give grace. Yeah, yeah, but, but it's just about trusting Jesus, and that is absolutely right. That is 100% true. Trust in Jesus. By His grace alone, you have faith. But that is, throughout Scripture, and even here in this picture, it's abundantly clear that if that happens, you have been given a new heart. Other metaphors are used. The old man has been put to death, and you are now raised again to new life through faith in Jesus. 
But if you have put on the cloak of a new man, but in reality you are still the old man, or again this picture, you have an old broken garment and have simply tried to sew a little bit of Jesus into your life, and it is tearing apart because you have not been given the new garment, the new wineskin, the new life that comes through the new heart that God gives to enable you to respond in faith in Jesus. So as we respond right now, as we close and respond, I want to encourage you to consider. Perhaps you're here for the first time and you know, I'm not a Christian. I wouldn't call that. I don't check that box. I wouldn't say that. I want to ask you, how would you respond? But, but perhaps you grew up in a religious environment and you just assume, yeah, I'm a Christian. But maybe by God's grace, He's opening your eyes today through His Word to show you. Maybe you've never truly responded to Him in faith. And so as we respond, I don't know how you need to respond. But, but I know we all need to respond. I'm going to be over on the side. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you. If anything I've said has been confusing, if you, want to, if you need to be prayed for, if you know you need to trust in Jesus, and you maybe thought you did a long time ago, but today's the day. I don't know where you're at, but, but God does. And, and, and we want to together respond to Him and His work of making all things new. Our, our hearts, our lives, and the world. Let's pray. Again, um, Lord, I, I, uh, I thank you for the privilege to communicate your word. Um, I also just confess it's, it's hard. Lord, I don't know where everyone's at. I, I know there's a weight to some degree here in this room even now. Um, I can't help but think that, that some of us, whether um, perhaps we are Christians, we have put our faith in you, but the reality is we've tried to return to the old man. We've or we've been kind of, um, we, we've just been living broken lives. And, and Lord, you have restored us, and yet we don't live in light of that. Maybe some are here in that, in that place. Maybe some, though, have thought they, they've trusted you. They thought they were Christians. They check that box. They say that. But, um, but they're, 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 they're realizing today that it's just been pouring new wine into old wineskins. It's just been sowing a little patch onto an old worn out garment. But Lord, thank you that you have come, that you entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday because you knew that Good Friday had to come. And then when you hung on the cross, you said, it is finished. You were saying, the old wineskins have been put to death. Throw them out. And then you victoriously rose from the dead so that through faith in you, we can be given new wineskins. We can be given resurrected life, restored relationship to God the Father. I pray that you will do a work amongst us, even now on an individual level, that we will rightly respond however you are calling. We're to follow you. Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.